This week's show is going to make you hungry. The World Food Championships are coming to Fair Park, and CEO Mike McLeod joins us to talk about what he calls the American Idol of food. Then, Delaney Foley of the Cowboys stops by to recap last week's all-important 2026 World Cup site visit and to pull back the curtain on what it's like to book major events at AT&T Stadium. Finally, Sarah Blaskovich of the Dallas Morning News joins us to talk about the restaurant scene in Dallas. She tells us where we rank as a food destination. Spoiler alert, we rank very high on that list. She also gives us barbecue and Tex-Mex recommendations. She talks about who has the best stadium or ballpark food in town and tells us what she's downloading these days. So get out your knife and fork. This will be a fun one. Let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by the hardest working woman, the hardest working executive in sports entertainment and show business, Monica Paul, the executive director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with our wingman, Marcus Carr of Tony Faye PR. Thanks for listening and subscribing. Please give us a rating. Maybe five would be good if you like the show. It's episode 37, Monica. Cowboys fans will remember the hard-hitting defensive back, James Drive-By Washington, wearing 37. He, he had 14 interceptions in his Cowboys career, played on two of those 90s Super Bowl teams. But today we're honoring Rangers left-hander, number 37, Kenny Rogers. Spent 12 of his 20 Major League seasons with the Rangers, for whom he went 133 and 96. That looked pretty good these days. He won four of his five gold gloves with the Rangers. I had no idea this little trivia. Kenny Rogers picked off 93 runners in his career, second all-time only to White Sox great Mark Burley. Uh, like Burley, Kenny Rogers also threw a perfect game. For, he did it for the Rangers on July 28, 1994 versus the Angels. And that, my friends, is the last no-hitter in Rangers history. Center fielder, a rookie at the time, Rusty Greer, saved the day in the ninth with a diving catch off the bat of Rex Hudler. Friend of the pod, Pudge Rodriguez, was behind the plate. And here's another tidbit. Also behind the plate was a minor league fill-in umpire named Ed Bean. He was working only his 29th game, only his seventh as a home plate ump, and he would only work seven more major league games in his umpiring career. So lots of little tidbits that night uh, as we remember Kenny Rogers, number 37, for episode 37. Monica, I'm joining you today from West Lafayette, Indiana, the campus of my alma mater, Purdue University. I'm taking a page out of your playbook, and I'm teaching a couple of classes the next few days. Any any tips for me? Well, Sully, you know, hopefully it's a, a day class. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a night class, and I it was always on Monday nights, which caused me a little problem in that uh, a lot of the students uh, would be watching Monday night football, or if it was a spring semester, maybe some you know, basketball. So uh, I, I had to watch that. I'd say keep it interactive, uh, get a, break it up a little bit. Um, and one thing that helped me along the way was know that you're not necessarily talking to all of the students. Yes, they're going to be in there, but um, there's only a select few, I think, that uh, um, are going to take some insight for, for, from you and actually use it to, to further their education and their career. And one advantage I have is that these are grad students. It's the oh. executive M MBA program at the prestigious Cranford School of Management at Purdue. So hopefully they'll be paying attention, but I'll have to do, I'll do my best to, to hold their attention. We're talking about crisis communication. So there's lots of drama and intrigue kind of built into the curriculum. Uh, we are, we're going to discuss the FIFA site visit last weekend in more detail with, in our conversation with Delaney Foley of AT&T Stadium and the Cowboys, but give us a sense of uh, how it went last weekend. Sully, so, uh, we talk a lot about big wins here in Dallas, and uh, I think we just hit it out of the park, uh, you know, a little baseball reference, but um, I am very proud of how our entire team, It Takes a Village, the community really came together. We hosted a fantastic reception on, uh, on Saturday night where our entire region came together from 
Frisco to Fort Worth to Arlington to Dallas, uh, a lot of city council and mayors there, other city leadership there to really show that, you know what, we we really want this World Cup. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of of how we executed AT&T Stadium. I mean, you know, what do I need to say there in terms of uh, the world-class facility that it it is? And we'll definitely talk to Delaney more about uh, her thoughts and kind of next steps. But you know, in addition to the stadium, there are <clears throat> other key areas that we needed to focus on, one of those being training sites, and we showed 11 different training sites and base camp opportunities, so I think they were kind of blown away at the facilities that we have here, and, uh, you know, a lot of them are tried and tested already with uh, many national teams with the CONCACAF Gold Cup or the MEX Tour and other international soccer matches that we've we've hosted here. Uh, we know that they work. Uh, we know that they're excellent uh, facilities and pitches. So that was a plus. And, and one of the other areas that we focused on and had site visits on were FanFest locations. So uh, we know what Fair Park is and the State Fair of Texas and what that event brings to the city every year. And so one of our, our goals and initiatives is really to create that type of experience for that 35-day period while World Cup is here in addition to Arlington and uh, the development that is taking place out there, their new convention center, opportunities with Choctaw Stadium and Texas Live and their new hotel development that aims uh, and and leads FIFA to be able to think outside of the box a little bit in terms of what they may want to uh, do there, being in such close proximity to AT&T Stadium and then obviously Fort Worth. Uh, and the FanFest uh, opportunity at Sundance Square and their convention center. So it truly is a region-wide uh, uh, initiative. Uh, we were able to have the FIFA and CONCACAF and U.S. Soccer Federation executives uh, tour National Soccer Hall of Fame, which, you know, that's special in itself, and a lot of people haven't been there, but uh, I think they were blown away from that experience. And then one of the main things uh, that we tackled on Saturday was uh, the International Broadcast Center out at Fair Park. It was hosted there in 1994, and while we know broadcast and technology has come a long way since 1994, uh, I think uh, Fair Park showed well, and uh, it's, it's uh, between us and uh, Atlanta right now in terms of the opportunity to host that in 2026. So. A uh, little bit different than a convention center style, but uh, more so an entire campus feel with some, you know, outdoor opportunities. And, uh, you know, we're talking broadcasters that would be here from January all the way through August. And that's their place of, of work where they come to work every day. And uh, all of the broadcasts for World Cup matches would be coming through out of that broadcast center here in Dallas. So a huge opportunity. We have some work to do uh, for, for sure. But uh, it was great. You know, this has been four years that uh, we've been working on this bid and for some uh, you know we were working on the 2018-2022 bid back in 2009-2010 so uh, some of us have been working on this for over 10 years and uh, it was great to finally have FIFA here uh, obviously we knew there was a little bit delay uh, in terms of the pandemic and uh, travel and, and, and all of those things but it seems that FIFA's gonna this will be a fast track now and uh, uh, we're due to provide them with some additional information based on the feedback that we've received from them uh, this past weekend. Uh, we've just been notified that we have a human rights uh, presentation here over the next month uh, to present that plan. We've already submitted it, but uh, publicly uh, submit that plan or present that plan uh, and then receive some feedback there and uh, be able to tweak that. But FIFA hopefully is on schedule to make a decision in Q1, Q2 of 2022. So June at the latest, I think we'll know if we're a host. We've been very uh, vocal that uh, we want that final. Um, so uh, if, if you call it going for the jugular, then uh, let's, let's go for the jugular, I think, because not only the final and International Broadcast Center and referee headquarters is uh, kind of on our docket of what we'd like to see here in the DFW region. Well, given the impact it would have, the 2026 World Cup is your top priority, but that's not all you have going on at the sports commission. There's always multiple balls up, up in the air. Yeah. A lot of uh, new announcements this week, uh, actually right before our FIFA site visit, uh, USA rugby announced that they're submitting their bid for world cup rugby for 2027, 2031 on the men's side, and then 2029, uh, for the women. So we are, we are part of that process as well. Uh, so that'll be evolving uh, in the two stadiums that we're taking a look at there, AT&T Stadium and Toyota Stadium. Uh, big news coming out of WWE uh, in terms of uh, not only will we be hosting one WrestleMania a night, 
uh, but we'll be hosting two. So Saturday and Sunday, uh, you know, when we hosted in 2016, we hit major records. We'll look to uh, do that with this two-night WrestleMania, kind of extends our WrestleMania week. Tickets will be going on sale to the general public uh, on November 12th. So a lot of exciting uh, um, new announcements coming out early next week on that as well. And then I'll just say a, a big opportunity for Cotton Bowl Stadium and Fair Park uh, in hosting the Rolling Stones uh, concert on November 2nd. So that should be a, a, a unique opportunity for them and a great opportunity to uh, you know, get concerts back in that, that facility uh, for, for the Dallas uh, residents. Mick Jagger at age 78 still, uh, still has it. Uh, we have our Pony Watch continuing. SMU remains undefeated at 7-0, 19th in the AP poll. Uh, going to Houston this week. Marcus, you confident that uh, the Ponies will pull it off as, as rare underdogs uh, on the road at, at Houston? Yeah, no, I, I think they are. They should, they should pull out this win. Their offense has been really potent. I'm more scared in a couple of weeks. They have Cincinnati, number two in the uh, country, coming up, and that'll be a real test for the, for the Mustangs. Also on the road. I, uh, on official Mike drop assignment, I attended the Mavericks home opener Tuesday night against the, the Rockets, a nice win against the scrappy young uh, Rockets team. Uh, it was cool. Luca addressed the crowd before the game. Friend of the pod, Chris Arnold, filling in for PA announcer Sean Heath for a few weeks. He, he did a fantastic job. The sellout crowd included Ezekiel Elliott. He got a huge ovation. I got to say, the fan experience was tremendous. Uh, and I don't think it was just because we've had you know limited crowds uh, for a while. The Mavericks know how to do this. Uh, there was an especially fun moment. The iHeartRadio Lip Sync Fan Cam promotion on the video board almost stole the show. There was one fan, a guy, very dramatically pantomiming along with the Backstreet Boys hit I want it that way. Now, Monica, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, I know your boy band would be George Strait, Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, and Charlie Pride, I think. But it was a really cool moment. The fans went crazy. They almost didn't want the ball to be put in place so this guy could keep singing along with the Backstreet Boys. But here's another thing. All fans who attended uh, the next morning got an NFT delivered to their phone, their Mavs account or their Ticketmaster account. Uh, I got a Brad Davis digital collectible. I'm not sure what to do with it, but I had an idea. Hey, Marcus, you want to buy this thing? You know, Sully, I, I think I would, I'd be willing to throw in some coins um, and there'll be mic drop coins, but we'll, we'll oh, <laughs> hold on. We have we'll new currency. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to see, I'm going to test the market here and see, and I, I'm going to drive a hard bargain. Uh, but uh, I may be back in touch with your people. My people will call your people, Marcus, on that deal. Now, I am really fired up. We're back in a moment to talk with Mike McLeod of the World Food Championship. This is something that's right up my alley. We're going to be talking barbecue and much more. The World Food Championship is headed to Dallas, too, like every great competition, it seems. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Sally, what are you doing this weekend? Because I'm going to the Dallas Zoo. The Dallas Zoo provides guests with real-life opportunities to make memorable connections with its more than 2,000 animals. Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com today to purchase your tickets. Thanks, Rach. We are now pleased to be joined by Mike McLeod. He's been CEO of the World Food Championship since 2012. Now, food sport is Mike's thing. He is the marketing guru when it comes to food. His firm, MMA Creative, has developed marketing programs like the Great American Cookout Tour. And I love this one, Cookoff Before Kickoff, a rivalry-based football tailgate program for Coca-Cola, AT&T, Heinz, and Kingsford. And here's my favorite part. Mike is a certified barbecue judge. And that's certified by just anybody. He's certified by the Kansas City Barbecue Society, the world's largest such society. He's also a Tennessee volunteer. Welcome, Mike, to the mic drop. Hi, Kevin. Good to be here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound, you sound great. The Excellent. World Food Championship headed to Fair Park November 5 through 7. This is a major springboard for future culinary stars. Tell our listeners what, what they can expect when they head out to Fair Park on November 5th, uh, 6th, and 7th. 
it, it's probably the biggest um, opportunity to ever put yourself in the middle of a chopped episode on Food Network, but throw in some March Madness, uh, throw in some Disneyland, throw in some uh, falling knives and some meatballs and some cheese balls, then you've got the World Food Championships. That's, that's basically the best way to describe it. Well, so it's a competition. How do, how does a, how do the winners, and, and they have a lot of categories, tell us how that works and how, how a particular chef ends up as the victor. So uh, not many people know this, but there's a huge industry, a food sport industry, just like uh, in, in baseball and football and basketball. There are competitions throughout America and throughout the world. We track about 2,000 competitions. Uh, about eight of the, 800 of them are actual golden ticket qualifiers. A chef has to uh, win an event, earn his or her way into the World Food Championships, and then we seat them into one of 10 categories. So they are there to show off their culinary skills. Uh, they're all champions. They're all trying to bring forth their best dish, uh, which will be judged by a lot of different rules. We even have cheferees that make sure all the rules are followed. Um, they use the eat methodology in the, in the judging of the, the dishes. There will be over 8,000 dishes created uh, in a five-day period. And then when we're done, we ba basically narrow down about 400, 450 teams to uh, 10 champions. There's a champion of barbecue, of dessert, of sandwich, of steak, bacon, uh, seafood, numerous things like that. So uh, that's the heartbeat of what World Food Championships is. Around it, we have created a flavor fest. We have lots of ways for foodies and consumers to come out, not only see all the action, but really take a bite out of it. Uh, we've got a bourbon queue event. We've got brunch bars going on. We've got VIP uh, showings and tastings. And we even have a brand new series of champions tables this year. Uh, it's already uh, completely booked, uh, but we've got 12 champions tables where uh, 12 of our past champions will be curating a four course meal in one hour uh, for the attendees while all this craziness is going on in the background. So it's going to be uh, quite a lift. It's going to be a, a new experience for us because we're at Fair Park. I heard you talking about Fair Park earlier. Uh, we are going to be in their Centennial Hall. This will be the first time our event has actually occurred indoors. Uh, we've always built kind of a tent city uh, for World Food Championships. And this year we're thrilled to be working with Fair Park uh, and, and have the majority of what we do, about 70% of what we do will happen indoors while it's flanked by steak on the one side and barbecue on the other side. Mikey had me at bacon. <laughs> so, 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 so I'm in, uh, you started this in, in Vegas in 2012. We know here in Dallas that, that food and dining out and eating is sort of a contact sport. Uh, what, uh, how did, why Dallas and how did you end up? Uh, I'm sure Monica was in the middle of, of getting you here uh, since she, she is so good at that, but what advantages does Dallas offer? Why, why, what do you like about coming to Dallas? First of all, um, thank you for mentioning Monica because she and her team uh, did a phenomenal job of working with us to, to relocate to, to Central America. Dallas was a, a beautiful and ideal spot for us. We'd been on the, the West Coast, we'd been on the East Coast. And as we look to expand and really kind of uh, find a spot where we could sit, settle down and set some roots, uh, now that we've really matured as an event and, and matured as a platform, Dallas, uh, the more we learned about it, the more we thought this is just perfect. This is the, the ideal location. You got two airports, it's easy to drive to from uh, either coast. Um, you've got a great media market. You have a fantastic culinary scene, uh, one of, you know, from, from piles to, to, to Rathbun, uh, to Faring, you know, all, all those great chefs that you have there in Dallas. I've, I've gotten to know them personally and enjoy their food tremendously. But there's, a, there's just an incredible culinary scene uh, there. And, and that as our backdrop, as we bring 1,200 to 1,500 cooks and chefs into Dallas for this, this big competition really matters to them because not only do they want to come and compete and show how great they are, but they want to discover new food techniques. They want to enjoy the food scene. They want to network with successful chefs uh, like Kent Rathbun and, and many others. And uh, Dallas just turned out to be a, a, the perfect location for that. 
All right, Mike, I, I have to tell you, actually, I probably need to tell Sully this, that, Sully, I'm a judge in uh, the recipe and barbecue competition, so oh, I might be able to get you in. I don't know if they have uh, any spots remaining in bacon, but I'm willing to have a discussion <laughs> with Mike and see if we can... Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm all in on the barbecue scene, too, so, uh, oh, so whatever you, want barbecue you can do for too. me. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm judging on Sully, Tuesday, I, so I'm, I'm quite excited about this. So you're, if you're judging on Tuesday, Monica, you're judging in the finals. So, Sully, what you should do is come hang out with me during the opening round when we can walk around and see 10 times the, the entries that Monica will see. Um, so we'll, we might have a better chance of filling up faster than she does. She's going to be locked in on 10 entries, uh, the 10 best entries, of course. I, I'm going to tell um, you, the, uh, the, the food at this competition is amazing What these uh, – what these chefs are able to produce in very short amount of time. Uh, I actually, uh, when we were working with Mike to, to bring this event to Dallas, uh, had the opportunity to go out and uh, to the event and witness it and, and test some food, and it is amazing. I, it's an, and especially, uh, I don't know, it was very impactful for me because I can't cook worth, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Mike, I got to... For my judging, I need a little help here. Talk to us about what this EAT methodology is in terms of uh, what the judges will be looking for. So as Sully mentioned earlier, um, I'm a certified barbecue judge. I'm also a certified chili judge, and, I'm, and I help design the curriculum uh, behind the EAT methodology, which stands for execution, appearance, and taste. When we built this super bowl of food, when you start thinking about how do you compare for the ultimate $100,000 prize that we give out. How do you compare the best bacon dish against the best burger or the best dessert? We had to find a way to do that um, and, and we dived into the execution of dishes. So what, what has become one of the hot topics um, in, in our environment is a chef is making a contract with our judges uh, by saying, I'm gonna build a um, chocolate drizzle uh, whiskey flavored cheeseburger. And we tell that to the judges and then the judges have to uh, determine, do I get the chocolate drizzle? Do I get the whiskey flavor? Do I get the cheese? Do I get the bacon? Does all that come together well in taste? Does it look great from appearance? But did they execute perfectly with that dish? And that's usually where our championship um, uh, top tier teams win or lose in the process so if the bacon's too rubbery or uh, too hard to eat or the buns are too hard to eat that that becomes execution problems so we teach a class uh, every year at the championship right before on thursday uh, we'll be teaching a class welcoming about 40 new people in as judges uh, but we do this online and we do this uh, throughout the country at num uh, many other events so that we have trained judges who are going to determine how um, most of our $300,000 prize purse is going to be given away. So, Mike, you might not be able to answer this question, but uh, how would you handicap the field for us this year? I, I think you have, do you have a lot of returning year-over-year -year, uh, chefs that are, you know, have proven themselves, or, or are there a yeah, lot of new people? It's interesting. Uh, th th in some respects, some people are looking at this as a, the best chance to win because uh, because of COVID restrictions from a travel perspective, uh, lack of international ability to get to Dallas this year. Uh, they, they think that it's going to be easier to win. But I've looked at the field, and um, even though we're down a little bit, down about 15% in team count, um, the teams that are coming are all very experienced teams. Uh, we've got about 25 uh, category world champions that are going to be there. Uh, and it, it's going to be tight. It's going to be tough. The, the people that have um, focused all year to get here or two years now, actually, because we missed last year, right? Um, they've got their game faces on. I've seen their recipes. They have to submit them to us and we have to review them, make sure that they're appropriate for the categories. This is probably going to be one of the toughest but most tasteful championships we've, we've ever had. See, Sully, you got to get in as a judge. Um, <laughs> Mike, uh, where did the idea come from to really turn chefs into competitors? Uh, you know, do you see this as a, a competition or a proving ground for these chefs to turn into future celebrity TV chefs? 
in, in many respects, in many respects uh, it is the American uh, Idol of food. It's, it's where chefs are getting discovered. Uh, many of our about I think about 70 of our chefs have gone on to some kind of TV, TV food programming fame, uh, and many of them will be back uh, this year to support us in our mission. But the, the, the whole idea really wasn't something that we created because these competitors are, are athletes in and of their own right. They practice, uh, they perfect their techniques, they have to execute on time. Sometimes they have to do that with limited resources, uh, like in a makeshift kitchen, like we, we build for them versus doing it at home or in a, in a restaurant. That's not easy. That takes a lot of practice and, and a lot of uh, talent. So they're, they're athletes. Uh, we just happened to discover this back in 2008, 2010, as we became uh, uh, heavy in, in barbecue marketing, we realized that this industry uh, was underserved, that it, it didn't really have a Super Bowl to it. And what, what's any great sport without, without the World Series or the Super Bowl or uh, the NBA Finals? I mean, you, you've, it needed its own uh, crescendo moment. So that's when we set out to create the World Food Championships and realized we got to back into a lot of structure, a lot of rules, uh, and a lot of game field preparation to be able to provide this to the culinary um, uh, passionate people out there. Well, Mike, we know that Dallas is a, is a food town. Um, all of our uh, residents, a lot of great um, restaurants that are here. This World Food Championships will deliver over $4 million in economic impact. To our area, a lot of people traveling in for this event, not only from your competitors and the chefs, um, but speaking to our Dallas residents who live here, what uh, what can they anticipate? Will they be able to, do you have partners there that have food tastings, uh, different equipment? What, what should they expect? They should expect uh, to be able to get a behind the scenes look, first of all, at what Food TV is all about. Uh, we, we really do open up um, the kimono, so to speak, to let people see how this works. Uh, we, we don't stop the action. We explain the action. We have a great MC. We get, have a great audio, audio visual uh, programming going on to support everything. But as far as sinking your teeth into World Food Championships, uh, we have uh, about 50 companies that are uh, either giving away or sampling products in our Hall of Taste. We, we played off of Hall of State. Uh, if those, for those of you who are familiar with Fair Park. So we have a hall of taste that you're gonna walk through the very first thing. Uh, you're gonna be given a lot of stuff to, to satisfy your appetite. If you don't get that satisfied, then we've got a VIP room with, with tastings every hour. We've got uh, these select champions tables that are, that are going on even though they're sold out right now. And we've got a wonderful uh, brunch bar strategy uh, Saturday and Sunday. And we also have bourbon queue uh, and barbecue ranch going on um, all three days, but barbecue going on Saturday. So if you like bourbon, if you like barbecue, and I think Texans kind of like both, um, then that, we've got the, we've got the hookup for you uh, on uh, at Fair Park World Food Championships. Uh, Mike, <clears throat> my head is swimming because now I know that you're also a chili, a certified chili yep. judge. So when you're going to judge chili, you've got beans or no beans. You know, when you're going to judge barbecue, you've got Texas, you've got Kansas City, you've got North Carolina split in half with two different kinds of barbecue. Uh, how, how do you become certified? Let's stick with barbecue. And, and how do you, how do you, uh, you know, uh, measure the various kinds of styles and evaluate them? So there are industries that support those specific styles, right? There's, there's a Carolina Barbecue Association. There's a Kansas City, there's uh, IBCA, which is Texas-based. Uh, so you can learn their judging techniques by going to those individual societies. Uh, what we had to do is same thing in, in Chile. You got Cassie, um, uh, you've got ICS, International Chile Society, and Tolbert. Uh, and to, to bean or not to bean is one of those <laughs> things that, um, that we have embraced in the International Chile world. Uh, we have both because we, we want a homestyle division, which is sponsored by Bush's Beans. And then we have traditional red, which is without beans uh, and, and chili verde as well as part of our, our formats. But for, for the World Food Championships, what we decided to do is, is really get back to that contract with, with a chef. Are, what are you trying to make for me? Are you trying to make a mustard-based uh, 
rack of ribs, that's important for me to know, for, for me to judge that, right? Because I might like sweet and tangy, um, or I, I might like tomato base. So we, we work with um, uh, the, the competitive teams to make sure we understand what they're creating. And then we teach our judges, this is what you have to look for and how you judge that. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that will never change, tenderness uh, of the meat, the cook being done appropriately, so it's not overcooked, undercooked. But flavor profiling really comes down to an execution strategy, and that's what we teach in our, our uh, certified classes. Well, Mike, it's been, a, it's been a blast having you on. All the best with the World Food Championships. How can people find out more, buy tickets, watch on TV? How do people get more information? So uh, worldfoodchampionships.com. Uh, we also have uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter under the World Food Championships handle. Uh, but we also have tastewfc.com. That, that'll take you straight to uh, all of the opportunities that you have to really take a bite out of uh, what we're going to be doing uh, next weekend. Well, all the best. And, uh, and uh, this has really been fun talking to you. So thanks to Mike McLeod of the World Food Championships. And now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. The Perot Museum of Nature and Science plays a vital role in preparing the most talented and diverse STEM workforce of tomorrow right here in Dallas. Become a member today and enjoy free admission and other valuable benefits to support this nonprofit landmark. Visit perotmuseum.org for more information. Thanks, Rachel. And now, Monica, we're joined by another one of those people that has a really cool job. Welcome to the mic drop, Delaney Foley. She's been the director of booking events for the Cowboys since 2015. She landed a marketing coordinator position with the team in 2009 and has worked her way up the ranks. Delaney is a graduate of the University of Mississippi. That would be number 10 Old Miss, Monica, unlike our Texas and Purdue teams that have visited the top 25 but are no longer residing there. Welcome to the mic drop, Delaney. Hotty toddy. <laughs> Why did you have Good to morning. throw in that Texas part, uh, Sully? You know, that, that still stings. I, I'm, I'm still... I'm still grieving. You know, we were in the top 25 here at Purdue for 20 minutes uh, last week, and I'm still not over last week's loss. So uh, I just, it's on my mind. I apologize. We can edit it out. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> that sounds good. Well, I have to add, uh, Delaney is my partner in crime. I don't think I could have uh, asked for a better partner in, in all the major events that happen here in the region. Um, we really are a, a good team, work well together, and I think uh, have uh, the end in mind. So, Delaney, we talked a lot about uh, our FIFA site visit uh, at the beginning of the program and uh, wanted to have you on because obviously AT&T Stadium is, you know, our world-class facility here and uh, just wanted to get your th overall thoughts on uh, what, what was our grade over the weekend? How did we do? Oh, I think A++. I don't think we could have done better. Um, I think we have a world-class facility, obviously. I think we have great infrastructure and great technology and all of the selling points in North Texas. But I think what's really a differentiator that no one else, um, there's not a grade for it, at least to say, um, is our people. And I think our people make people feel good. And I think that matters a lot. I think there's a likability factor. I think Southern hospitality, especially in the event business, um, is really seen and appreciated more than people give credit to. And so I think um, we all were ready to go with smiles on our face, and I think it worked well. Yeah, I, I think this may be the best site visit we've ever uh, hosted here in uh, you know, a long time coming. Uh, a lot of planning went into it. Um, I don't think we really left anything on the table. I know we have some follow-up, uh, but I think we were very clear to FIFA of what our intentions were of Wanting the final and uh, semifinal, quarterfinal, give us six to eight matches. You know, we're, we're ready to host, add in the International Broadcast Center uh, and some referee training training uh, facilities. And, uh, you know, someone's like, uh, I think one of the executives were like, I think Dallas is going for the jugular. And I think that's uh, uh, kind of <laughs> where we left it. I know there's a lot of other site visits they have to go on and uh, we have to do, but... Um, what are some things you, you think we need to work on to kind of make it to that next level and uh, be successful in hosting that final? Um, I would say truly lining like what we want. So um, you name all those things. 
we, you know, use the word big for our region a lot, and that obviously is extremely big in, in their eyes specifically. I think, um, but with the financial commitments, I think there's a lot of work to be done on financial resources, um, commitments, you know, corporate commitment, state commitment, everyone getting on board with that. And then I think there's, you know, some operations we got to figure out. Um, construction, what what all the construction entails, how long does it entail, what are the different systems, what's the different options. Um, I mean, Todd Martin, our GM at the stadium, has already gone to work. He's like, I'm talking to architects, I'm talking to an engineer that's looking at the hydro system and da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, like it's Monday morning at 9 a.m. Okay, you go to work. But so I think there's a lot um, because I do think um, proud is a word that people in Texas feel a lot. And if we are going to go big and we're going to go 68 games and we're going to do the broadcast and we're going to do all the training facilities, we want to do it right. And there's a type personality of a lot of Texans and especially ones in our region and very certain ones that are on our host committee <laughs> that have um, a very perfectionist type A personality. And so if we are going to do it and we're going to go back to them with what we want, I think we want to make sure we can deliver and deliver it the best quality possible. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, uh, you know, this this event is much different than others that we have hosted. And we've hosted some, you know, big ones. So we, we name them all in terms of Super Bowl, upcoming WrestleMania that was just announced uh, from a two-day uh, opportunity there, NBA All-Star, NCAA Men's Final Four. Well, I think what a lot of people don't realize is this World Cup is just the competition itself is 35 straight days. Uh, and that means something totally different from a stadium standpoint in terms of what that setup looks like, the 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 infrastructure for growing grass for that that length of time is uh, important too. Obviously, pitch dimensions for FIFA are are important. Um, we've worked really hard, I think, uh, in partnership over the last five to six years, putting ourselves in this position uh, by showing that you know what, we, we can host these international soccer matches with our MEX Tour agreement and hopefully, you know, future MEX Tour opportunities. Uh, the recent CONCACAF Gold Cup that we hosted at AT&T Stadium and throughout the region. Overall, for, from AT&T Stadium perspective, how do these soccer events kind of compare? I mean, we know we host a lot of football. We know, obviously, Cowboys games, but then also uh, on the collegiate side. H how do they compare or differ? Um, so I would say... There's nothing better than the compassion of the fans in the building, regardless of the event. So some of the ones you name right off the bat, it, they just will alarm you if you're not a part of that culture or a part of that experience. Because, for instance, WrestleMania, you better be ready to see all 40-year-old men dressed in costume like they're Hulk Hogan, and they literally think that they're Hulk Hogan when they're chanting his chant and, like, doing the whole bit. The energy of the crowd is what I think drives – again, I just go back to the people. The people, the fans, are what make an experience, what make the stadium, you know, it, what it is on a game day. And so we're seeing it now, obviously, with the Cowboys run. There's a big difference in – you know, when you're winning a game, the feeling being in the stands and when you're not. I say the same thing like in WrestleMania, being on the, the um, near the ring even or in the crowd, um, the energy that the crowd creates through their passion for WrestleMania is unlike anything else. The Mexico national team fan base creates an environment that will give you chills. They just are so, so passionate. Um, it's everything from their babies to their parents. Um, so it's very generational. It is everything from how long, like they get there, they want to wear all the masks, you know, the head, um, I'm trying to think of the word for it. Mask. So like masks, I guess. Yep. But masks nowadays has a very different feeling, I guess like a negative yep. um in a good way like the the tribal masks yep. um the flag the colors of their country it feels very um 
electric in the stadium when you have them there because of the passion that these these people have for not just the team but their country and I like can't even imagine what that would be like for in a World Cup situation. Melanie, well, just to set the record straight, I'll be dressed as Drew Galloway, who, that's his real name, Drew McIntyre, the WWE superstar reigning champion, complete with the kilt when I attend WrestleMania in 22. Actually, I won't. I can't wait to I, see I, it. I won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would not be a good visual. We're going to have to edit that out too. Uh, you you raised a theme here that uh, Abraham Noodlestayer was on with us last week and talked about how these big events create memories. And that's really what you're talking about, right? The power of sports to lift our spirits, to bring us together across the generations. And it must be just a great feeling for you and your in your work to get to see that week in and week out, including with the Cowboys. Yeah, of course. So, you know, people ask, what, what do you do for a living? And it's obviously sports and entertainment, create, you know, booking events for AT&T Stadium, the Star and the Ford Center in Frisco. What I like to think about is um, I went to a World Series growing up. My We were always a Red Sox family, and we hadn't been to a World Series in decades. And when we um, finally made it for the first time, we my dad invited my grandfather, and we all went. And it created an experience for me that I was like, I had a, the memory, the picture. There was things that I just like recall happening, the signs we held, the shirts we got. The whole thing became, you know, something that I remembered and talked about forever. WWE says it a lot. They say we put smiles on people's faces. I think that sports is one thing in the world today, especially that unites people regardless of all the other things that they could possibly disagree on, which is a lot nowadays. Um, and so I think that that you know, makes me love what I do. Like it gives you a much bigger picture. It makes you feel a little, little bit better that you're not just obviously like generating an economic impact for your region, but you're creating an experience and giving people a memory that will last them forever. And they're doing it in ways that, you know, they want, um, which is obviously what, what the best part is for sure. Give our listeners a sense, Delaney, of the, you also book non-sports events, right, into AT&T Stadium. I don't think the average person uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth fully understands how much happens there day in and day out. Give us a sense of the, the range of events that you bring into the stadium. Yeah, of course. So obviously, and not just in my world, but there's everything at AT&T Stadium is from touring the art collection, doing a regular tour, having a corporate dinner on the field, hosting a business meeting, um, any of those. But then there's also, I mean, it's endless. If you need space, you can find it and, and we'll, we'll give it to you. Um, there's, we've had bowling. We've had um, all of our dirt shows, PBR, the rodeo, um, all the big music golf, acts. Right? We've had, yeah, golf actually. Like we, we talked about, um, the top golf experience coming out for something. And so it's funny that you say that there's drone competitions. Now there's esports with the video board. There's it's endless. Um, there's always an area of people or a passion in people that, you know, we could probably accommodate their tastes with AT&T stadium and, you, and throw in the occasional wedding reception too, right? Wedding movie premiere. We had a movie premiere one time. ACM. Amazing. Does, yeah, Academy of Country Music Awards. Yeah. The, uh, we talk on the show sometimes that when the Cowboys are doing well, everything seems better. A little more spring in your step all around Dallas-Fort Worth. Do you see that when the, when the Cowboys win? Does business pick up? Has interest increased? Does it ever. <laughs> it, there's not just a spring in, spring in our step. We're, we're jumping. <laughs> We're flying. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I would say that it's not just the energy in the building. Um, that energy obviously transcends in so many ways. So it's, you know, people being passionate and wanting to go to a road game or even people just, it's a noon game. And normally by 3 PM, we've cleared the building and instead everyone wants to stay and they want to keep, 
you know, drinking and eating their nachos and hanging out and listening to music and celebrating the win. Um, so I would say across all things, the interest, the it's everything from, you know, people wanting to stay and, and hang out and listen to music to people wanting to take people to a game. So the amount of people you want to bring to a game. So like, let me be clear. I've already uh, made a request for my Super Bowl tickets. So that, that tells you kind of where I'm at. We've invited Monica to a game. She hasn't taken us up on it. And just sends us a text after our last one that says, my ticket request is for the Super Bowl. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, that would be that would be something. And this may be the year. We've heard, uh, you know, we, we've heard tale of people who they want to see AT&T Stadium so badly that when they're connecting, they have connecting flights at DFW, they make arrangements, they book them in such a way that they can zoom over AT&T Stadium to work in a quick tour. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a, a, an urban myth or or true, but people really want to see this this facility, even now, even though now that it's been around for 10 years. Uh, tell us, talk about the tour business a little bit and what what you hear from people on that and how how uh, robust that booking business is. Yeah, of course. So, um, legends. At hospitality at the stadium they actually run our tour business but I don't think we could have ever imagined when you open the stadium that the stadium would have the interest that people did I mean they are still touring and and that it wouldn't drop off like you said it's been open for 12 years so surely everyone that's wanted to really see it has seen it um they have said I think it's like 400 to 500,000 people still tour a year which just seems crazy. They have a concept called a rally day that's like a pep rally for Cowboys games that's hosted on the Saturday before a Sunday home game. And it's all kinds of elements. So bounce houses and um, autograph signings, cheerleader you know, pictures, the whole Cowboys branding experience. And they sell out. Literally, you can't get them. I tried to get someone in that was coming in town for a game, and they were like, we don't have tickets left. So it's the demand is is off the charts. And I'll give the example that um, Monica and I were on a call with WWE the other day, and they're hosting an on-sale party on November 10th at the stadium. Very similar concept, but, you know, WrestleMania, NXT matches, that kind of stuff. They're like, well, should we open the self-guided tour route that you do for the Cowboys? I'm like... These are WWE fans. They're not really Cowboys fans. One of the girls from WWE is like, I actually just took the tour with a friend when I was in town, and it was awesome. And so I think in my head, I get a little bit like, oh, like, you know, when you're always getting hot coffee the minute it's cold, you're like, ugh. But she was like, no, this is amazing. Like, you need to, this is a resource you should continue to push. So there it is i think intriguing for people to see i also think that you know the jones family are so unique in this matter that they open it up it's a you know they want to show you everything they have nothing to hide um they want you to see where Dak sits before he goes out they want you to see you know where he stands for his press conference they they expose you to everything where i think there used to be a feeling of that needs to stay behind the scenes that needs to stay um, you know, offline or secure or, you know, whatever it is. And they've, they've done the opposite and it's really, really paid off. So what is it like to work for the Jones family? Uh, you know, I know that they, they, they are so in terms of rolling out the red carpet, you are right about the hospitality, but, but what is, what is that? What is that like from your standpoint? Uh, I mean, obviously I love it because I'm still doing it. Um, I, think that um if you're passionate about what you're doing they give you all the resources you need to do um to be successful which i think is undervalued especially in in the climate nowadays um they are extremely generous and extremely accommodating and really really good people they allow you to think big they don't you know there's no dumb idea they always are open to trying new things. They'll take risk. Um, all the things that you would want, obviously, out of an ownership group or, or a um, boss. I also think there's like an expectation. Like Monica said, 
I find a lot of type A personalities around <laughs> around me, me being one of them. But I think um, the perfectionist is like, there's always a higher bar to be set. And some people could struggle with that. I think that, you know, a lot of the right people for the job do really well and succeed under that pressure. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's provided a lot of growth for our entire business, um, them having that mindset. So Delaney, before we, we let you go, I have a question, but I'm going to have to comment on the, 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 the Jones family and what they do and their ownership. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know, soothing is the right word, but, uh, I enjoy going into what I do and working with y'all because I know that those high bars are, are set and, uh, you know, what they have done to continue to keep uh, AT&T Stadium world-class and the events and support that they give. I mean, you know, 12 years, AT&T Stadium has been open, and, I mean, you couldn't tell that by walking into it. So I think, you know, them always ensuring that that stadium and, and all of their assets are, are, are first class and always thinking outside of the box and thinking big. Uh, I think is we're blessed to have them as as owners and partners in all of the major events that uh, that we do. But so before we let you go, uh, I have one question in terms of we've hosted a lot of events. So what event is there that you dream of booking? What is on that bucket list for AT&T Stadium? I mean, I tell Chad all the time I'm still employed through 2026 for the World Cup to happen. That I mean, that's like the ultimate Um, other ones that I've just like thought like this would be cool um like I think the Grammys would be cool like something like that what else what am I missing well I mean we still have we talked a little bit earlier about uh, rugby world cup for 2027 and 2031 Mm -hmm. so that's uh just announced uh last week right before our site visit uh that uh, that is moving forward and U.S. rugby will be submitting that bid and we're definitely on the list of cities for that um I keep talking to John Sabor like I want a Royal Rumble or the um summer smackdown or the summer slam summer slam that they do um I love working with WWE obviously well, I think there's a, there's a lot of opportunities out there, but I don't think there's anything larger than probably the World Cup. So uh, for our listeners, just know that Delaney and I both have an agreement uh, to be staying on board to 2026. We can retire after that together. Uh, but Delaney, thank you for after for Victor us. being here. I think he might put a people clause in our oh, in oh, our agreement. That's okay. We we can put a people clause in in there. There's a lot of people <laughs> we need to stay have remain in their spots through 2026, uh, so we can make this a success. So Delaney, thank you for joining us. Thanks Always for a pleasure. Me. Thank you for being it was a great fun. partner. Yeah, of course. And now over to Rachel for a word from our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. And now we're really pleased to welcome Sarah Blaskovich to the mic drop. She's the restaurant reporter for the Dallas Morning News. What a cool job. She uh, she gets to eat for a living. Now, she also has to write for a living and do some other things, but still a cool job. Sarah's interviewed every major chef in Dallas. And as we heard from Mike McLeod of the World Food Championships a bit ago, there are a lot of them in Dallas, oh, yeah. those big celebrity chefs. Uh, and, you know, Sarah spends evenings and weekends checking out Dallas's newest restaurants. You can also find her on NBC5 a couple of times a week, talking about the most interesting events in Dallas-Fort Worth. Sarah's a, a Missouri grad, so that makes it three for three today, Monica, with SEC schools being represented. Yeah. I don't think it's anything to do with, with uh, Texas uh, departing, but, but three for three. So welcome, Sarah, to the uh, mic drop. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. You know, we all know that uh, people really, really care about eating out in Dallas. This is a important part of life yeah. in Dallas-Fort Worth. So what's the life of a restaurant reporter like in the movies? And, you know, you're always depicted as being feared, you know, by the chefs and there's a lot of drama yeah. involved. Do they know when you're coming? You know, what, what's, it, what's it like? Um, well, the during the day is 
probably much less exciting than some people might think. Um, especially during the pandemic, I talked to chefs on the phone a lot. Um, and I went, I had a baby during the pandemic. So I went a stretch of, I think, nine months without dining indoors. Although I did tons of picnics and takeouts and all that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's a lot of building connections. Um, it's a lot of interviews and it's a lot of sneak peeks at restaurants. Um, I also, of course, eat around town on my own dime and a, a little bit on the company's dime. Um, but a lot of what I do is food news instead of food critiques. Um, right. And so that means that I get to go inside a lot of restaurants before they open. Um, I get to try some of the food, not necessarily critique it, but then I can tell you, the reader, um, what the place looks like, what the food uh, will look like or possibly taste like. Um, and uh, I mean, I've told people before, I cannot complain. It is the best job, I think, in this city because we are so built on food. Sarah, uh, we, we sometimes tout uh, food being uh, the seventh professional sport here in Dallas, but how does, sure. Dallas, uh, how does Dallas rank as an international food destination? Oh, that's such a great question. So um, I, I think I'd like to rank it as a national food destination first. Um, and here's why. Dallas chefs um, are incredibly innovative and we actually got a lot of chefs from New York and LA during the pandemic who decided they wanted to move to Texas. And from a creativity standpoint, that's a big deal. Um, I would say that New York and LA are kind of our stalwarts when it comes to really exciting big food cities um, in this country. However, if you look at Texas only, it's also a really exciting food state. And Dallas competes with Houston and Austin and San Antonio um, all for being excellent places to eat. Um, so if you ask me, someone who was born and raised in Dallas and decided to come back to Dallas after I went to Mizzou, I'll tell you it's the best food city in the entire world. Um, but we should look at the whole state and the country and recognize how many good food cities there are. Um, I wouldn't say internationally that a lot of people pinpoint it as a food destination. However, when they get here, there are certain kinds of food that people can't miss. We have Tex-Mex that's better than anybody's Tex-Mex in any other state for obvious reasons. Um, we have barbecue like people have never had. So uh, Dallas is really special in its types of food. Um, but, you know, I think we're best known internationally for the Dallas Cowboys and then maybe for like uh, headquarters of Neiman Marcus. Maybe after that, it's food. So I'd like even more people to get to know it. Well, I, I like well, the Tex-Mex uh, thing because we actually uh, we introduced a little Tex-Mex to FIFA when they were here this past weekend. Oh, fantastic. Um, so one last question, Sarah. Uh, obviously, yeah. uh, some of our sports venues like to uh, be a little creative with their their menus and have worked on, you know, what food options. How do our uh, sports venues stack up on their their food? Or have you had a chance to check them out? Uh, no, I have, and this is a passion of mine, a deep, deep passion, uh, which is the category of oversized food. I just <laughs> love love it. Um, without question, the Texas Rangers do the best job of this. Um, and for years I have been going before the season starts and eating all their wacko food. Uh, it is bigger and better and sometimes more expensive, always more interesting than any other stadium in the region, in my opinion. Um, FC Dallas does a couple of interesting things. The Dallas Cowboys sometimes do, but, uh, it's really the baseball stadium that has made it its hallmark that when you come there, you can get a 24 inch hot dog. Uh, or that you can get a burger the size of a frisbee. You know, that's a that's a special baseball thing in our town. Uh, but if you ask me, I wish everybody did it. Yeah, and I'm on board when I go with my family, without exception, to the uh, the helmet ice cream. You know, in the seventh inning. So, yeah, I know oh, yeah. that's 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 old school, but that's 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 my favorite. And you're right, the Rangers do a great job uh, with the food. Although that big Pizza Hut cookie thing at the Mavericks games and Stars games is pretty good. Uh, too. All right. So Sarah, this is the portion of the podcast where we ask our, our guest to let us know what they're streaming. What are they, what are you downloading? It could be a book, movie, TV, podcast, uh, whatever it might be. What streaming uh, and viewing recommendations do you have for our, for our listeners? Well, my secret is that even though I eat and drink all day long, I am a huge true crime fan. And so I just finished the podcast Suspect. Um, which is about the murder of a woman named Arpana Janaga on Halloween. Uh, I think it's been more than a decade. And the case has gone unsolved, but they erroneously arrested someone who was incarcerated for years for a crime he didn't commit. Um, 
in the world of true crime, it is a fascinating story and it's timely because it's about Halloween. That's a good one. I will make note of that. I like the true crime stuff too. I just listened to the imposter season two uh, on uh, uh, podcast, which was, which was pretty good. What uh, Monica, what do you have uh, this week? Well, you know, Sully, I'm really light in this category always, but I, and I haven't downloaded anything yet this week because I'm just trying to catch up on some sleep and, and whatnot from our FIFA visit. But I do have something on my calendar to, to ensure that I'm streaming here over next week. Uh, November 7th, Yellowstone season comes out. So uh, that'll be the top of uh, what I'll be streaming here for the next uh, few weeks. I'm right there with you. You know, it, I've missed Rip terribly the last several months mm. since the show's been off. My, my download this week is a podcast the uh, called Land of the Giants this season, uh, hosted by Peter Kafka of Vox Media, focuses on Apple. Just absolutely fascinating. It includes some great insights into uh, uh, everything that goes on in Silicon Valley. So I recommend Land of the Giants. And of course, I'm still excited about uh, week three of Succession, but you can't binge that. You got to wait you know, one week at a time for HBO to deliver that for you. So so, uh, so, Sarah, it's been fun having you on. I, I will take your recommendations. Uh, we, you know, but I'm a little disappointed that the, all the restaurants aren't aren't afraid of you. You seem like a very nice person, but I get the difference between food news and and uh, and and food critique critiques. Yeah, I mean, some sometimes it's tough stories about lawsuits and closures and you know people doing bad things. But I also get to eat burgers and cupcakes. You want to leave us with a, uh, a Tex-Mex recommendation and a barbecue recommendation? Sure. Uh, Manny's is one of my favorite Tex-Mex places around Dallas, and I think it's highly underrated. It just so happens that there's one walking distance to my house in Lakewood. Um, and, and barbecue. Goldie's Barbecue was named the number one barbecue joint in Texas by Texas Monthly last week. Uh, it is brand new and in Kennedale, Fort Worth area started by a couple of late 20s guys who went to high school together in Arlington. Goldie's Barbecue is exceptional. If you can't get there, get to Cadillac Barbecue in Farmer's Branch, Dallas area. It is only open a couple days a week at lunch, though. But such is the world of barbecue. It is hard to get into, and you wait in line, and that's part of the fun. Man, what a, what a great batch of recommendations there. What a blast having Sarah on. On behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to our guests Mike McLeod, Delaney Foley, and Sarah Blaskovich. Thanks also to the Mike Drop production team, Chris D'Amelia, Angela Lang, and Marcus Carr, all of Tony Fay PR. Jay at Vocal Media, we give him a hard time, but he keeps us on the air. And our showrunner, Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.